Good morning. This morning we get to share in communion and we'll be doing that at the end. But if you will this morning, please make your way over to Acts chapter 2 as, uh, as we continue for the third week in a row in the book of Acts. And so this morning we will be covering from verses 22 to 36. And so let's begin reading from verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and cruci have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the, pain of, the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, <clears throat> nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of peace in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he was, is both buried, dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had swore with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, see, he, there, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Father, we are so grateful for this portion of Scripture. I pray, God, that you would just help me in delivering this message, Lord, the things that you've laid on my heart. Father, I pray, God, that you would just open our eyes and help our, our thoughts and our minds to be consumed with who you are, God. Lord, it's powerful to know, Lord God, the truth of your word. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. As, as we look and as we begin this portion of Scripture, what, what we see in Acts chapter 2 sets the stage for the rest of the book of Acts. But in reality, it goes beyond that because it actually sets the stage for the church as a whole, the church, <laughs> which had life because the church is the reincarnated body of Jesus Christ. But Acts here, this is why Acts is so powerful, especially the second chapter of Acts. Because Acts, even as the church had life, Acts chapter 2 gives it its power. It gives it its power to go forth and do what it was meant to do. In other words, as the body of Christ, it would now be able to move forward. It would be able to now gain traction in this world as the body. Now, as the body, as it moves forward, as it begins to gain traction, it will begin to grow. It wasn't just going to stay in that upper room with 120 people. The Holy Spirit had fallen upon the church now, and the power was now in the church. And the church was made up of people. <laughs> and so now the Holy Spirit has fallen upon these 120 people, and they are going to take, or, or they had life, but now they have power. I, I couldn't help but think, again, stupid movie, but Young Frankenstein. The, the fact that he builds it and it's like there's life and then he is like, it has power, it's alive, it's alive. You know, that whole deal, you know. And, and I'm going, here the church, again, dumb illustration probably, but it has life. But chapter 2 gives it power to move, to act, to gain traction, to do what it's supposed to do. And I'm so excited to, to be able to share that with us because we are the church. It continues to grow. It continues to gain traction. And what I love about this and, and what's already happened, as we've seen in chapter 2, as a result of waiting for the, the, the promise of the Father, as, as Jesus had told the church or told the, the disciples back in chapter 1, verse 4, now the Holy Spirit has come upon the church with that epi power that we spoke about a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, that Jesus told them now you would begin to experience life. You will experience the power of God moving in and through you. So now instead of them hiding and cowering as they had done some 50 days earlier, they are standing up and they are standing bold, as we saw last week. And they are speaking what the Holy Spirit has given them to speak and or utter. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. And we are to take that and run with that. 
There is a newfound boldness that has taken hold of these people who were cowering 50 days earlier. There's a newfound boldness to be able to stand up. There's a boldness to stand firm. There's a boldness to begin to speak. And with this newfound boldness, they are now at this point in our, in our text. They, Peter last week began to speak and teach the first sermon, if you will, of the church. Granted, earlier than that, they were speaking with other tongues that they didn't know the language. But what they were speaking was the wonderful works of God and that they truly understood in and of themselves. Even though as they were speaking, they didn't understand it, but they knew probably from the feedback of these people as they're drawn to what is being said, that all of a sudden these people are going, that's what you're talking about. This is what you're saying, because they're probably going, I don't know what I just said. You're talking about the wonderful works of God. Well, I know what I'm talking about then. Even if I don't understand the language, is where these guys are at. They knew of what they spoke, even if it was in another language. When Peter quoted the, uh, the prophet Joel, it was because he had already read about it. Or, or quite possibly, if he hadn't read about it, then Jesus had taught him about the, the prophet Joel. Either way, it was the word of God. <laughs> if he had read it through the Old Testament or if Jesus had spoke it, to him about the prophet Joel, it was the word of God. That is what came out of him, the word of God, when he spoke about the prophet Joel. There was no way that he was able to speak about the prophet Joel unless it had already come into his life. The word of God, guys, because many of you guys go, I just don't know the word of God. If you have read it, if you have taken it in somehow, if you've heard it, you have it in you. And, and Peter, Peter cannot speak unless it's already in there. And I think this is where, again, as he begins to share this first sermon that he started last week in verse 14, these are things that he knew about Jesus. He's going to talk about experiences that he had with Jesus because he was an eyewitness to those things. He had experienced these things. But the scripture that he shares were, were, were some of the things that were already embedded in his heart. Now, it is quite possible that when he first read them and or learned them, he might have not known what they meant. Oh, he probably understood somehow that one day God would speak or would, would pour out his spirit when he was reading Joel or when it was shared with him. But he didn't know exactly what it meant. But now it all made, made sense. The Spirit was now in him. The Spirit was now empowering him. The Spirit was now allowing him to stand up and begin to speak. And now as he is speaking it, it's as if he's going, now I know what I'm talking about. Now I know what it meant when I heard it back then, when I read it back then. And I don't know if that's ever occurred to you or happened to you that, that you read something, you're going, I have no clue what I just read in the scriptures. Anybody ever go through that? 
quite often, you know, all, all of us, I think, go through that. And then all of a sudden, a week later, a day later, or whatever later, you're going through something, you're going, I just read about that. Okay, now it makes sense what's going on. Because you, you capture it, and the Spirit is now doing that work in you. You see, Peter didn't speak the Word of God unless it was somewhere in there. John chapter 14, verse 26, tells us as Jesus is speaking to them the night before he was betrayed, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He will bring to remembrance all the things that he has spoken or shared with you. And so he says, men and men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. I love the fact that Peter, when he started his sermon, when he started talking, he caught their attention because all these are, are, are Jewish people that are there. He caught their attention by mentioning the prophet Joel. It piqued their interest. Their ears were perked up now because they knew who the prophet Joel was. And now he mentions Jesus of Nazareth. Now, for some reason, a lot of these people, they had heard that name and where he was from, they had heard that they had they have heard that term Jesus of Nazareth. They knew that he was a real person. His fame had already gone out for the good or for the bad, but his fame had already been out there, and more than likely, many had already seen him. And if not, most of them had probably heard about this Jesus of Nazareth who was doing all these crazy things in and around Israel. Not just in Jerusalem, but up by Galilee as well. So a lot of these people had, had heard about him at least. And so now Jesus is about to take center stage of all of this. He, he is, he, here, from here on out, he will be the center of everything in the church. Old Testament scripture will still be used. And like I shared with you last week, Jesus is all around the Old Testament. Here in these first three verses of our text, verses 22, 23, and 24, Peter shares the gospel with this group of people that is now gathered. And he shares this basically. Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. That is the gospel in a nutshell. The apostle Peter here was a night witness to all of these things. Well, maybe except his birth. But he knew that he had been born. <laughs> he had experienced him as a person. So he knew he had been born. And, and this is only my personal opinion, guys. But I truly believe that we as Christians should know the gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think that as Christians, that is vital for us. Every one of us should read through the Gospels. One Gospel a year, at least. <laughs> but read through the Gospels. Why? Because it tells you about the life of Jesus. It tells you about His birth, about His life, about His death, and His resurrection. And guys, that preaches, man, anytime. Not just from behind a pulpit. 
But knowing the gospel, knowing Jesus, knowing the essence of who Jesus is and what he did here on earth and why he came and all of these things, that preaches anywhere you're at, man. With family, with, with, with coworkers, on the recreation field, that should be your life, that you should be able to share that with people. In other words, if we know about Jesus and all that surrounds him, because it is in your heart, because he is in your heart, then you have something to say. You have what it takes to share the gospel, the good news. And all it takes is for you to throw it out there. And by what I, what I mean by throwing it out there is stand up. Start speaking. See what happens. You just throw it out there. See what happens. For the good or for the bad. <laughs> but if you're bold enough to be able to share the gospel anywhere you're at, oh, you'll get some people are going, I want more. You'll get other people going, get on my face. Hey. You know you did your work. <laughs> Not because we're arrogant, but because of the boldness that's in our lives. Again, people often, it's like, but everybody rejects me. It's like, well, maybe, again, how are you coming across here? <laughs> Even if you're doing it right, people will reject you. They will reject the gospel. Understand that. It's okay. But you share it anyways. Peter had no clue that day. He had no clue what God was about to do because he just, he just threw it out there, man. He stood up. He, he took a chance, and he stood up, and he, and he proclaimed what he knew. He proclaimed what was already in his heart. And what he ends up proclaiming, he did not know what was about to happen. He didn't know if these guys would listen to him or not listen to him. But it does tell us that there were some people in verse 37, we're not going to cover it this morning, but they end up being cut to the heart. Peter didn't know that. He had no clue what was about to happen, just like we don't. When we throw it out there, when we put ourselves in that situation of going, okay, Lord, here I am, man, I know what's in my heart. Open up doors for me. You never know what's going to happen. I would have to say that most of the people that were there that day, on the day of Pentecost, who heard Peter, again, they must have known about Jesus or heard about him one way or another. And it is quite possible that many of these people, maybe even probable, that many of these people were there 50 days earlier, right around the Passover, and perhaps some of them, if not a lot of them, were part of that group, part of that multitude, part of that mob that was yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. It's quite possible. Because Peter, Peter will make a, a declaration later on that man just cuts them to the heart because he blames them. He says, you crucified him. So quite possibly a lot of those people had been there yelling that. But listen to the message in these three verses that Peter shares. And he basically says, God sent him. God let them. And God raised him. That is the basic message that, that, he, he, that he gives us. In other words, God was involved in every aspect of Jesus' life. 
from sending him, from letting man do whatever he wanted to do, to him raising him back from the dead. Where it tells us in verse, in verse 22, a man attested by God for you by miracle signs and wonders. That is, God sent him. The word attested is the same word as approved or accredited. In the Greek, it means to show off, i.e. to exhibit. Jesus was God's exhibit A, if you will, to the world. I am showing him off to the world. I love the way the Amplified shares with us verse 22. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited and pointed out and shown forth and commended and attested to, by, to you by God by the mighty works and the power of performing wonders and signs which God worked through him right in your midst, as you yourselves know. In other words, God sent him. God sent him to show man his love and his kindness. I think oftentimes, as we, as we read through the Gospels, his love and his kindness was shown through the miracles, through the wonders, and through the signs. None of this, that Jesus' life, it wasn't done in secret. It wasn't something that was off in a corner. It was done all the time in, in the middle of everything. I, I was reminded, I'm looking at that and thinking about that. When they came to arrest Jesus, that Jesus says, why didn't you do this yesterday or, or last week? It's not like I've been hiding anything from you guys. I've been in the temple all week long. Why is it now that you come with clubs and, and, and things to come and come after me as a robber or something? You see, he was out in the open all the time. He was in their midst, and they could not doubt that. They understood that. And Peter was talking right to them, and they, he knew that they knew what he was talking about. In verse 23, it says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken with lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Here we see that God let them. God let man do whatever man wanted to do to him, to Jesus. And they ended up crucifying him. And they ended up putting him to death. The Amplified puts this verse this way. This Jesus, when delivered up according to the definite and fixed purpose and settled plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and put out of the way, killing him by the hands of lawless and wicked men. It, it wasn't that God had lost control of Jesus. When, when God allowed man to do what man wanted to do, it wasn't like God goes, I don't know what to do here. God knew exactly what he was doing. It was, it was definite and it was fixed. It, it, it was his purpose. He had determined this from the foundation of the world. It was settled back in the foundation of the world. God knew what would happen with man and in his foreknowledge, which we cannot comprehend nor understand. 
He allowed all this to happen from the very beginning. And even though God allowed all of this, lawless hands of men would be guilty of putting him to death. In other words, it was sinful man that put Jesus to death. Yet we know that Jesus paid the price for those sinful men that put him to death. How's that for loving kindness? How's that for, for, for a compassionate God? Knowing that God allowed this, knowing that, God, that man would do what man was going to do, God still sent his son. And he was put to death. But verse 24, it says, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. It was not possible that he should be held by death. So God sent him, God let them, and God raised him. God had everything under control. But that's not to say that Jesus didn't experience real pain and suffering because he did. His death was for real. <laughs> But this was no ordinary death. Even though so many others had been beaten, even though so many others had been scourged and even crucified, none of those other ones had ever taken on the sin of all the world, except for Jesus. The Amplified puts this verse like this, but God raised him up, liberating him from the pangs of death seeing that it was not possible for him to continue to be controlled and retained by it, by death. The word translated pains in our translation and, and what we read in, in, the, in uh, the original Greek, is, pangs means birth, or pains means birth pangs birth pangs, which, which suggests that the tomb was the womb out of which Jesus was born in resurrected glory. I, I, I like the way Acts puts it for us, kind of resembling this birth that the grave gave. It says in Acts 13, 32 to 33, And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to our fathers, God has fulfilled this to us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You see, death could not keep Jesus down. It was not possible for death to keep him. Because death, death has power over sin. And death is a result and, and, and the wages of sin. But the grave had to birth him out, so to speak. Because it could not keep him. The grave could not contain him. The fact of the matter is that a sinless person cannot die. But he can be put to death. And if a sinless person is put to death, what happens to that sinless person? Well, death has to throw him back. 
It can't keep them. If there was sin, death could keep them because the wages of sin is death. And so death has power over sin. But it couldn't. It it just couldn't. As much as death wanted to keep Jesus, there was no way in Hades (laughs) that death could keep him. He had to throw him back. Death had become null and void. To the sinless person, death is null and void. To that person, it can't keep him because it has no power over him. The plan of God, which is the gospel, was to buy back man because they had sinned and there was an ever going to be a time where we could pay literally for our sins. And so the plan of God was to buy them back, buy us back. Unless you're sinless, (laughs) which I doubt. Now, even though it was God's plan all along, he still held man responsible for their actions of killing Jesus, of putting him to death. And the only remedy for that was to receive God's plan of salvation, which is Jesus. So all of this is swirling around who Jesus is. And again, he shares with us that Jesus came, that man put him to death, and that God raised him back up. The one who paid the price for our sins is the only one that has ever had victory over sin and death. Now, I like the fact that Peter doesn't shy away from any of this. This is a powerful message that Peter is giving right now. This newfound boldness that is in his life because of the Holy Spirit allowed him to speak truth. And I could guarantee you there's an element of love and compassion behind Peter that we hardly ever see in Peter. (laughs) But something has happened to this man. You see, Peter wasn't, shy, shy, wasn't above shying away from Jesus to save his own skin, as we saw 50-some days earlier, when he denied Jesus, when he cowered, when he ran, basically. But something has happened in the life of Peter. You see, at this point, as Peter is sharing this message, in these first three verses especially, that's really powerful. After mentioning Joel, he brings in Jesus, and he knew Jesus would would begin to do a work in these people's lives, good or bad. You see, he begins to speak, and he has no clue if this crowd is going to charge him and kill him, or if they're going to receive what he has to say. He has no clue. He has no clue how the reaction is going to be from these people. This is the first sermon. (laughs) This is the first time that the Holy Spirit has filled the church, and now they're going to start doing the work. Jesus is gone, but he has sent his Holy Spirit to fill the church. He had no clue what was about to happen, and I can guarantee you right now it didn't matter to him anymore. It really didn't matter to him anymore. Why? Because the fear of death was not hanging over Peter anymore. Death 
was not the worst thing that could happen to Peter. <laughs> it didn't have power over him anymore. Somehow he understood that. It didn't have power over him. Not because of who he was, but because of what Jesus did. But because of who Jesus was now in him. You see, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is now living inside of Peter. And it wasn't Peter anymore. It was Jesus in Peter that was doing the work. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's no longer you, but Jesus in you, doing the work. I love the fact that, again, it's as if he is now fearless. He's not afraid of what will happen to him. The scripture in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, came to mind as I'm, I'm looking at this going, Peter, he could care less about what's going on. Why? He knows who, who, who his Savior is. He knows who is Lord and Christ. He knows that. Because in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says, Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Death had not, did not have a hold on him anymore. He was okay. Did Peter totally understand that? I don't, I don't think he knew that. He just knew there was this newfound boldness in him that, that he could care less what happens to him. He is able to stand because he is now filled with the Holy Spirit. The physical didn't matter as much anymore. There was something bigger. There was something better at work. And he just so happened to be the one that stood up. He is just, just happened to be the one that began to speak. Now, if, if we can understand that Peter just happened to be open, he just happened to be willing to stand up, to speak up, and to throw it out there. Not knowing what would happen, not knowing what God was going to do with that. If we can understand what Peter's doing, then I think it's better for us to understand that God can use people like us. He can truly use people like us who are open and willing to stand up who are open and willing to take a stand, who are open and willing to speak what we already know. <laughs> the fear should be gone. What can man do to you, honestly? Well, pastor, they can, they can kill me. Well, then what? <laughs> well, then I'm with Jesus. Not a bad deal. Now, I think what the worst thing that could happen to you is that you get thrown in jail. Persecuted? Being called a Jesus freak? It's probably worse than death, right? Peter didn't care. Peter could care less what was going to happen to him. He was going to speak with boldness. And we're going to see in a few chapters sometime this year <laughs> that when they do get thrown in prison... They're okay with it. They come back out and they begin to teach 
thinking we're going to get to put to death today, and that's cool. There was a newfound boldness that the physical really didn't matter anymore. They had a message to share. And the church, the only way the church was going to grow if, it, if that message went forward. Guys, you and I are here today because that message went forward. <laughs> today, you get to experience salvation because that message went forward. Because they moved in what God had given to them. Now, what we don't see here, and I don't think I do, I don't see the arrogance of that one Peter that we've known before in the Gospels. I don't see that here. I see boldness. Some might call it arrogance, but I see boldness here. Peter is standing up, and it's not about Peter anymore. It's about Jesus Christ. It's, about, it's not about his own skin anymore. It's about the message that he has that he is willing to give to these people whom he knows has just crucified Jesus 50 days earlier. He's okay with it. I, I truly believe that this, this newfound boldness that comes with the filling of the Holy Spirit should be, has to be, ought to be laced with grace. There has to be a grace, or, or, or not great, but humility associated with the fact that we can stand in front of people and, and share the gospel with them. There's a humility that God would even think of you to use you in that capacity, to use me in any way. That he would use any of us. It's a humbling experience. But he has given us his Holy Spirit who gives us a newfound boldness to speak, to stand, to do what we ought to do. And so in verses 25 to the end of, of our text here, he, he begins to say in verse 25, for David said concerning him. Now Peter again goes to the Old Testament. He continues the sermon in the Old Testament because that's all the word of God that they had. And Jesus is in the Old Testament. But this time he uses the book of Psalms. And, and verses 25 to, to 28, he, he, he's, he's sharing from Psalm uh, 16, verses 8 through 11. You see, the people that he is preaching to are all Jews or converted Jews, as we learned last week. And they understood and respected the scriptures that are being used and explained. They understood that portion of scripture dealt with the Messiah, the Christ, the sent one. And Peter is nailing it right here. Because he has just talked to them about what's going on. What you're seeing, Prophet Joel, he said, he said this would happen. What I'm sharing with you now about Jesus of Nazareth, David King David, our King David, he is the one that spoke about this in the Psalms. They revered King David. So, dude, he is nailing them right now with Joel and now David. And he is, he is allowing this to penetrate their hearts. As for David says concerning him, the him is Jesus whom God sent, whom man killed, whom God raised from the dead. And so he's quoting this psalm, Psalm 16, and they all knew that it pertained to the resurrection of the Messiah. 
They all knew that the Messiah would be killed and that he would be raised again. And Peter is now making sense of it for them. What, what Peter does here uh, with Psalm 16 verses 1 through, through 11 is what we try and do each and every time we stand behind a pulpit. Each and every time we preach and teach, we read the scriptures and then we expound on the scriptures and try to make them plain for, for us. And how do they fit with us? That's what he's doing right here. Because he, he quotes Psalm 16 from verses 25 to 28 and then from, from verse 9, uh, 29 to about 34, he explains what this scripture means. He says to them in verse 29, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Let me share with you now about the patriarch David, the one that we love and revere. He says his tomb is right here with us. And he is both dead and buried. Which means, and he's explaining, he's going to explain to him, King David could not have been speaking about himself in Psalm 16. He was speaking about someone else. But he also spoke about an oath here, an oath to him or a promise from God to David that from him, the Messiah, the Christ, the sent one, would sit on the throne where it says in Psalm one uh, thirty-two, eleven. The Lord has sworn in truth to David, I will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. And so again, he's all of this is coming to fruition as David is now, as as Peter is now sharing about David. All of this is coming to pass, where he says in verse thirty-one, he speaking about David. Foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul would not be left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. King David, by God giving him the understanding and the knowledge, said that the Messiah would not be left in the realm of the dead. The realm of the dead being Hades, hell. Nor would his flesh decay in any way. He would not be able to see corruption. So what Psalm 16 verses 8 through 11 is saying is that there was no way that Jesus, as the Messiah, could ever stay dead. Why? Because he didn't belong to the dead. The death had no power over him. And his body could not have stayed to see any kind of decay. His body could not start decaying. He could not go through that metamorphosis thing. He couldn't. He had to come back. <laughs> this Jesus, in verse 32, God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. The emphasis of the message that Peter is giving and preaching is the resurrection and that he was a witness of the resurrection. So I can only imagine as he is preaching and sharing this message that there is some passion and some conviction 
behind what he is sharing with them. When we know what we know, because we have witnessed it from the Lord, there is a passion and a conviction that comes with that that cannot be manufactured. It comes out. It's real. And we are able to share it with that conviction, knowing what we have seen and what we have heard from the Lord. You see, we see this throughout Peter's writings, First and Second Peter. I love those books because Peter, again, as much as he messed up, when he was writing, there was such conviction and there's such passion behind his writings because he witnessed it. He knew it. Nobody could tell him, you're crazy. Nobody could say, that never happened. It's like, dude, I will go to my death for this because I know the reality of it. He knew what he knew and nobody would take that from him. Therefore, as it says in verse 33, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So, so in following Peter's logic here, if we can, if the Holy Spirit is in the world, then God must have sent him. The prophet Joel promised that one day the Spirit would come. And Jesus himself even promised to send the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, albeit to his, his disciples. But he did nonetheless. Let me read to you a, a few verses where Jesus promises the, the Comforter. In John chapter 14, verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, all your rem- and bring to your remembrance all things that I say to you. Chapter 15, verse 26 of John. When the Helper comes, whom I shall send in my Father, from my Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And I love those two verses in John chapter 14 and 15 because at one point he says the Holy Spirit is coming whom the Father will send in my name. And then he, he, he reiterates it, but this time he says whom I will send from the Father. And then in Luke 24, 49 says, Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you are endued with power from on high. So as we continue to try and follow Peter's logic here, as he is sharing with them, if indeed Jesus is still dead, then there's no way that he was able to send the Spirit. Therefore, he must be alive, he is sharing with them. And if he is alive, then it only stands to reason that Jesus has ascended to the Father, not David. Why? Because David's, David's body is still right outside here in the tomb. <laughs> we can exhume, exhume it if we want, and his bones will be there. So the fact of the matter is that Jesus had ascended to heaven. And what he is conveying to the multitudes has their, has their ears perked up. They are all ears at this point. Because he says in verse 34, For David did not ascend into heaven 
But he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So to back up his logic, he's, this statement Peter quotes, he, he quotes Psalm 110.1. And this verse, or this psalm, certainly, definitely, positively could not be applied to David. But it affirms the deity of who Jesus is with the title of Lord, Adonai and or Master. Psalm 110.1 could be interpreted or understood as the Lord Jehovah I am that I am said to my Lord Adonai Master. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. In our last verse here before we close up. He says therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter's conclusion is both a declaration and an accusation as he closes up his sermon. Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, but you crucified him, he says. And that, that was so powerful that it constituted a response from the people. Because as we will see next week, and you'll have to come back next week to see that, he will give them some good news because their hearts have been cut. See, Peter knew how to wield the Word of God now (laughs) from about 50 days earlier where he tried to cut somebody's ear off. It says that he cut them in the heart with the Word of God. And there's a response that they, that they have. These guys had committed the greatest sin in all of history by crucifying their Messiah. And somebody would ask, well, is there any hope for them? And the answer is yes, there is. How's that for loving kindness? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Lord, we humble ourselves right now, Lord. God, as we understand what your word says, Lord, that you sent your son into the world. Lord, you desired a relationship with man once again. And because of your great love for man, you sent your son, Jesus, knowing what they would do to him. You still sent him, Lord. Lord, we're so grateful for that. We're grateful, Lord God, that you desire a relationship with man. And as brutal as, a, as man was to Jesus, you still desired a relationship. And Father, I thank you for your power. That Lord, even though he took sin upon himself, because he was sinless, Lord's death had no power over him. And I thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord God, for the resurrection. Lord, we look to you and we thank you, Lord. Even as we celebrate communion right now, Lord, remind us of all that Jesus did for us, Lord. Lord, knowing just how much we sin and how bad we are, 
Lord, you still loved us and you still desired us. And Jesus, we love you and thank you for, for your obedience to the cross. Thank you that you went through it for us. That we would remember that as we take and partake of communion, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. And as solemn as that is, Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the power that you show us through the resurrection. That we can rejoice as well, knowing that as we partake in communion, we remember the Lord's death. But Lord, we want to thank you and praise you for the resurrection. Let us rejoice in that, Lord. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And he will set up his kingdom just like he said that he will be faithful to you and I. He will come, back, he will come again for us as well. In Jesus' name, right? Amen. Father, we just thank you. We praise you for your faithfulness, Lord. God, as we look at what you did here in the nation of Israel with these people, Lord. Father, to, to show them, Lord God, who you are. To show them, Lord God, your faithfulness. Lord, as, as, as you shared this, these visions with this young prophet that he was able to share with his own people. As he showed them a, a, a picture of Messiah coming and sitting on the throne. Lord, as faithful as you were to show him these things, Lord. Father, you are still faithful today. And we want to trust you, Lord. We want to honor you, Lord. Lord, I don't know what my brothers and sisters are going through right now. But remind them, Lord, through your word, that as you promised that you would come, that you would take care of the nation of Israel, you would take care of us, your people. And so, Lord, we just are humbled by that. And I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that right now, Lord, you would meet them right where they're at. That as we quiet our hearts right now, you will speak.